So tonight we're going to, my topic that I've been given is the role of the church, the role of the church. And to have a proper understanding and even an appreciation of the role of the church in the 21st century, we must begin by defining the church and the 21st century. You say, well, Brother Barbara, we know what the 21st century is, but uh, let's let's go ahead and let's break it down and define what the church is first. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve and thirteen, it says, "For as as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body." Everybody say one body. So also is Christ. So Paul's telling the church at Corinth that we together. Even though we are separate in entities, we are still one because we are part of Christ as he is one. Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. If we have been baptized in his name and we've been baptized by his spirit, regardless of our background, regardless of who we are We are in the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. There's not a membership form that we sign to be a part of the church. We have to be born into the church. We have to be baptized by water and the spirit in order to be a part of the church. So from this verse of scripture, we can say that the church is the gathering of people from different tribes. In other words, Jews or Greeks, people with different backgrounds. You look around, if we had time tonight, you could ask your neighbor just a little bit about their life and where they grew up from and so forth and so on and you would find that they would have a different background some were raised coming to church and some are new converts or new believers in church different backgrounds that the bible would call it slave or free who believe in christ Now, we understand that Jesus Christ is the person that binds us together and brings us together. It is his spirit that draws us here. That's why you're here tonight. You you say, well, I'm here by obligation. It's Wednesday night. This is what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be. That is correct. But it's also correct to say that you are here tonight because the Spirit has drawn you. The Spirit that you've been baptized with that put you into the body also draws you to a physical location where you can uh, meet other family members. Let me put it that way. It's a spiritual family reunion every time we come together. As a result of the, our union and our relationship with Christ, we receive his spirit. That is the one spirit, and it dwells in us, and it works through us. We preach a lot of times that the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God must dwell in us, but as the church, we have to allow it to work through us. It's not enough just to have the Holy Ghost and to speak in a heavenly language on Sunday. It's got to be in operation every other day of the week. We have to first understand that the church is a place for people to come and to receive salvation. I heard my pastor years ago, brother, uh, Bishop Huntley now, Brother Wayne Huntley, he said, the church is not a museum for the saints, it's a hospital for the sick. 
It's not a place where we come and we celebrate our heritage, even though that is important. This is a place where we come and the people are healed and they're, and they're delivered and they're set free and they're restored from sin and afflictions that they may have. It's a place where they receive salvation. We under, also understand that not only those who are currently here, but those that are going to be coming by faith. Amen. I'll say that one more time. Not just those that are currently here, but those that are going to be coming by faith. They're going to be coming. They're going to be a part of this glorious body of Christ. And the only way they can get into the body of Christ is to be born into it. They have to get in. Everybody that gets into the body, the church, has to get in by the same door. Jesus said, I am the door. If any man coming to the Father, he's got to go through me. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So we have to follow the example of Jesus Christ and his plan. And that was repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of his spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, once you are in the body, once you have uh, met those three steps of salvation, you are in the body of Christ. You are not just to sit idly by and, and let others do the work, so to speak. Let, let others know how to pray and learn how to pray and intercede and do all the worshiping. You are now a part of something that is commissioned to fulfill the greatest mission on earth. Jesus said, I've not come to the house of Israel, but to the lost sheep. I've come to the sick. I've come to the bruised and the battered. And when you receive his spirit, you take on that same mission that you are to go out and to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's given us the power of his spirit. The world wants to make the church feel intimidated, wants to make the world, the world wants to make us feel like we're insignificant and where we don't talk about Jesus Christ and we don't talk about our salvation experience. We don't talk about what the Lord has done in our lives, but the Lord has commissioned us and given us the power of his spirit to go out and to be bold. And to speak in love and and tell them, I know a man. Ephesians 1 and 20, when, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22 And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Everybody say his body. Everybody say it's the church. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. From these verses, the church is the body of Christ. It is through his body, through the church that Jesus both acts And speaks. Now, yes, we understand that Jesus can speak through a donkey. He can cause a rooster to crow three times when he is denied that he even uh, was known. He can cause uh, an axe head to float on water that God does not necessarily need me, but God wants me to be a part of his action and a a part of his word. Because this word is alive. 
Amen. Out of 66 books in the Bible, the book of Acts, the church is the only book in the Bible that does not have an amen at the conclusion of it. Because the church is to continue to carry on in the gospel. We're to carry on seeing miracles, signs, and wonders, and salvation. And I know I wasn't here Sunday, uh, but I truly believe that what was experienced and what I felt through podcasts uh, of the preaching of Pastor Harple, our church is taking on a new dimension of, of spirituality, a new dimension of anointing. And we have to understand what our role has got to be in that time. That way we stay in the flow of the Spirit. The church is not just one of many segments or sectors of society. It's not just a club that we go to on a Wednesday or Sunday or special prayer meeting on Saturday or a revival service. It's even, let me just say this, it's not on the same level as government. When you drive down the highway and you see that speed limit sign, and I know we all stay that speed limit sign. Amen. And when we go, that is the law, right? The government says you can do this, can't do this, and can't do that. It, but the church is not on the same level as government. It's not on the same level as entertainment. It's not on the same level uh, as education or media or social media or many different things. The church is above and supreme to every other sector of society because the church has the Christ as its head. We have a ruler that is not of this world. We have an authority that is not of this world. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He's in this world, but he's not of this world. And our Christ, he is the head. He's not, he's greater than the president. He's greater than any political leader. He's greater than any chancellor. He's greater than a principal of a university or a dean or a head or a CEO of uh, any major corporation. He's greater than any business mogul. He's, he's richer than any multimillionaire. We have a God that is the head of the church that has all power and authority and dominion. And whatever he says is effective through us, the church, if we can understand our position as the body of Christ. Do you understand that you have the same access to the creative power that God had when he stood on the balcony of heaven in Genesis 1 and he said, let there be light. Let the fowls of the air be in the beast of the field. Let heaven and earth separate. Let the the waters recede. That same creative power is inside you and me. We have to get to the point where we understand that the Holy Ghost is just not about me feeling good. God didn't give me the Holy Ghost, His Spirit, for me to just have access when I need healing and when I need an answer and when I need God in that moment. He gave me the Holy Ghost so I can be so full of His Spirit on a daily basis that when I walk into a, uh, we know, the, the Lord's Church of the Earth, Walmart. You see everybody at from church at Walmart. I never forget, I, I, I was a sales rep for uh, Frito-Lay, and, and I, I was in a Dollar General one time, and, and a lady was, the manager was really struggling, and I, I built a relationship with her, I'd been discipling her a little bit, and, and um, I walked in, it was 
the store just opened. If you ever been at a Dollar General when the store opens, I don't know what it is, but it's like bargain days. There's people lined up waiting for the door to open. And, and I walked in and I, I looked at her and I said, hey, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm good. And tears started running down her face. And I, it was a busy day for me. And, I, and the Lord checked my spirit. I was about to just start doing my job. But the Lord checked my spirit and said, stop and talk to her. So I just stopped for a moment and I began to talk to her. And, and I said, what's going on? And she just unloaded life on me. And I stood there and I listened. And I, I told her right there, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. She said, thank you so much. Thank you for praying with me. I said, no, no, no. We're going to pray right now. And because she had a need, because she was in desperation, her heart was heavy and her spirit was broken, she didn't say, oh, no, 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 that's okay. She had people lined up at the cash register. She had people still coming in the door. We're right in the doorway. And, and my flesh wanted to go, Father God, in Jesus' name, please touch her. My flesh wanted to do that, but the Holy Ghost inside of me, I didn't go, you know, uh, as one, I I think it was, um, um, someone said, asthmatic preacher, I didn't do that on her, but I laid hands on her shoulder, and I held her hand, and I said, Father, I pray just like I pray right here, and the Holy Ghost fell right there in Dollar General. And when I opened up my eyes, everybody at the cash register had their heads bowed. People were stopped in the doorway. You say, what's the point of your, I'm telling the point of the story is, when you let the Spirit of God, the head of the church, the power above all powers, operate in your life. God will not only minister in the moment, but there's no telling what transpired to those that I didn't even talk to. That's part of our role, is to be bold in the Spirit. You say, well, how is the church above all these? Simply by the virtue of the fact that our head, Jesus Christ, is above them. The church is the most powerful entity in heaven and earth. I'm not talking about this building. This building is amazing. This building is beautiful. The atrium is beautiful. Our new sanctuary is going to be beautiful. This is just one physical location. And I'm talking about tonight the church, the mobile church, the church that drives on the campus, the church that drives to various communities in our county and with that outside of our county. You are the church that I'm talking about, and you are the most powerful entity in heaven and earth. John said in Uh, Jesus said, excuse me, in John 14 and 12, greater works shall ye do. That's the church, which is Jesus in action. That is the church. So what is the 21st century? The 21st century is our current century we're in. Just a little bit of history right there. That's all I know. Just kidding. I'm not talking about the one Moses lived in or Elijah or John the Baptist Or Paul and Silas were in. It is a present day reality. It is a century that more than half of the world's population has access to the internet. According to our world data, we have 7.7 billion, billion people in the world today. Five billion people today are considered internet users. Five billion. That means... Two in every three people in the world today use social media platforms. 
We have a, we have a, a great task ahead of us as the church. So the role of the church, what is it? We are all familiar with the account of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Behind, behind the popular story of a young lad who threw a stone at a huge giant, killed the giant, there are some fundamental truths about the church, especially in the 21st century. And that's what I want to talk to you about, kind of our basis of the role of the church tonight. So to help us better understand the lessons we want to bring out from the story of David and Goliath that would relate to the church, even the 21st century church, let's take a look at a few key players or characters in this story. The first I want to talk to you about is David. What does David represent? He represents the present day church. And then we're going to talk about David's father and his brothers, and they represent our families. And then we're going to engage with Saul. He represents the once churched people who are now unchurched. See, before, before now, Saul had been anointed by God. He had been used by God to win battles for the Israelites. He had even prophesied at times. And Saul started off as a man in the plan and agenda of God. But at some point in his life, we can say that Saul had dropped out of church. Saul had disobeyed God. He drifted from God's plan for his life and was now consulting with a witch, which he had a problem or needed guidance. He, he would seek her out instead, instead of the Lord. And he was in a backslidden state. There are people who find themselves in that same condition today. People who have drifted drifted from God, prodigal sons and daughters have drifted from God. Don't know how exactly it happened because I've been told, I've been in church now uh, over 25 years and um, 27, 28 years now. And I was told, Tim, always be conscious of your spiritual level. And I say, why? They said, because you don't backslide overnight. You don't give up on God overnight. It's a slow process. It's so slow of a process that you don't even realize that it is happening. And we find many people around us. You know some. I even know some people that have drifted away from God. They also include those who do not have a personal relationship with God but were brought up in Christian homes and they used to attend church either because their parents took them or because they felt it was the right thing to do on Sunday. This is what we're talking about. We'll get to with Saul. Now they are at a point in their lives, these, these young people, these young adults, these adults who are raised in church, brought to church every Sunday and they're at a point in their lives where they don't see the need at all to be in church or go to Christian events or a church setting. This group of people, sad to say, is increasing on a daily basis. And the fourth point we're going to talk about tonight is Goliath and the Philistines. Goliath and the Philistines represent the extreme unchurched people. In 1 Samuel 17, we see Goliath challenging, insulting, and mocking the people of God. This group represents those who don't, don't believe in Jesus and don't know Him. 
They don't want anything to know, uh, to know about him or with him at this point in time. They practice other religions possibly or they have other views or beliefs that are contrary to the word of God. Can I tell you that there is an attack today on the church? Not just a physical location, but the believers of the church. Because people, we know who Jesus is. And Jesus, unfortunately, the name offends people today. His name offends people. Jesus said, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. Well, I don't know how it happened for you, but when I got in the church and I was born again... Man, I thought everything was good. It felt so good. I tell people when I baptize them, if you've ever been up there and I've baptized people and, and they were your disciple or your friend, I tell them, you're going to go in this water and you're going to not realize how heavy of a load you've been carrying until you come out of the water. I remember the day when I came up out of the water. I was a little guy. I wish I had pictures. I was skinny at one time. I had ribs under here somewhere. And I came up out of that water and the weight that was on me, just it was just gone. It was no longer there because I went down in the name of Jesus and I knew that everything was going to be all right. I was on a spiritual high only to go home and to face ridicule and persecution from my family. We have a misconception that just because we're born again that we're not going to experience life. That life doesn't happen to those that are born again. Unfortunately, life happens to us all. We get older. The body doesn't function like it used to. The knees don't work. The elbows hurt. I don't know how you can get eight hours of sleep and wake up and still be stiff and and hurt. I don't understand. It's just life. Being born again has no, no, no reflection of life. We have to know that in this life we will have troubles, but we have an advocate With the greatest name above every name, his name is Jesus, and his name causes a lot of controversy. As it did between the Philistines and the Israelites. There was a war between them. And that war in our day would represent a current national issue. So let's dive into our story. It starts with 1 Samuel 16 and 13, which can be likened to a church setting. We find the prophet Samuel is sent by God to anoint David with oil. He does this in the presence of David's father and brothers. And Samuel must have prayed for David and prophesied into his life. And he released him to function in the plan of God for his life. I want to pause right there for a moment and just say this. That sometimes you can be called You can be chosen, you can be anointed, and even have a prophetic word spoken over you and it not come to pass for later years down the road. But you have to hold on to the promise and know that if God said it in his perfect time, it's going to come to pass. Because David was prophesied over, he was anointed, and he was prayed for, and he found himself doing the same thing he was doing before the word came forth. When I first moved to Indiana, I would go to several revival services, and there was a, a, a prophet. And he, he would preach, he was a great preacher, and he would prophesy. And one day, he, I was at this service supporting my uh, fellow pastor, and, and he, he came back and he laid his hand on me. 
And he prophesied over me and he said, I see you preaching to hundreds, even thousands of people. Well, as a preacher, I'm like, yes, Lord, let's go. That's what I'm talking about. And didn't happen. We were pastoring a home mission church. I went back and we're preaching to seven people. Year passed. They had the same guy back and he prophesied the same thing to me again. I received it a second time. I said, yes, Lord, I, I received that. It's happened three, maybe four times. He prophesied the same thing. And by the fourth time, I'm thinking, man, this, maybe he's just guessing. I don't know. But okay, Lord, I'm just going to receive it. And it wasn't until things happened and we evangelized and we ended up here at New Life Fellowship. And I remember the very first time I preached here, I stood behind this pulpit. And before I got ready to preach, Sister Lacey, the Lord checked my spirit. And every word that that prophet said all four times to me came back to my memory. And I told my wife when I got done that evening, I said, I know without a shadow of a doubt that we are in the will of God. And God is going to do great things through us in this community. You may hear the word of God. You may be anointed as the body of Christ. In fact, somebody could even prophesy into your life. But what do you do until the prophecy is fulfilled, until the anointing is is taking hold in your life and you are able to access and use it? You keep doing what you know to do. You keep praying, you keep fasting, you keep worshiping, you keep inviting, you keep discipling, you keep being the church. Because my life and my relationship is not dictated by my my anointing. My relationship with God as the body, as a part of the body, is what dictates how great my anointing is. Amen. Amen. Matthew 18 and 20 tells us where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. That's what we must do as a church. Come together and pray, prophesy, and release each other to accomplish the great commission. In our own day, this gathering, this time of anointing is what some would call maybe a, a impartation service or some a prophetic service or an ordination service. So the question is, what happened next in David's life after this time of anointing? What happens to us after we have an impartation or prophetic or, or we are ordained? What did this impact, what impact did this gathering uh, with the prophet Samuel, his father, his brothers, and himself have on David's immediate surroundings? What does it do on our church services? We see that grace and anointing that was released on David that day affected all of these groups of people that I earlier highlighted for you. It had a positive effect on his family. On Saul, the once churched man who had dropped out of the church, or the Bible says that God sent an evil spirit to him. It had an effect on him. It had an effect on the Philistines, those so far away from God, and even had an effect on the national issue at that time. So let's highlight four key roles of the church today from the life of David. Number one, to function And operate outside the physical church setting. As soon as David was anointed. Or can we say as soon as David left church. Something happened in Saul's life. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord started troubling him. 
And David would play his harp and Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Have you ever went to someone's house that you highly esteem and, and, and you know they have a great walk with God and you walk into their house and maybe sit down in their living room or their family room and you just feel like this peace comes over you? You just feel this, this comfort like your mind is at ease. And that's what David was to Saul. Saul would, would just go and his mind was tormented because he wasn't where he should have been. But he would beckon for David to come and minister to a pressing problem that he had in his life. And what was happening to Saul at that time was particular to him. It wasn't a problem that everybody in his family had. It wasn't a problem that everybody in his palace had or his country. No one else was going through this except Saul. It was his own personal challenge. So we have to ask ourselves, what are some of the personal challenges that people are facing today? Think about them for a moment. People are dealing with marital problems, financial issues, health challenges, relationships, friendship issues, issues that stem from low self-esteem, low lack of confidence, not to mention those that are truthfully are tormented and oppressed by forces of darkness like we see that are happening to Saul. It's the work and the place of the church to bring down the Spirit of God, the power of God on these issues. It's our job Our responsibility as the church that when we gather together, we create such an atmosphere that whatever issue that someone else is dealing with on a personal level, it's not their family outside of them. It's not not those that they're in contact with, but they're here because number one, the Lord has drawn them here. And number two, they need an answer. They need peace. They need help. It is our duty, our obligation as the body of Christ to create an atmosphere as the worship team. Well, let me just take a step back. As prayer starts at 940 and goes to 955, that is our opportunity to begin the atmosphere. To me, that's when church starts. We have a great band and a great worship team. But when they hit the key or hit the beat or pluck the string, to me, that's not when church starts. Church starts at 940 when we come together and we begin to stand in the gap. We're closing the gap between the world and God. And we're creating an atmosphere that when people are in this building, it's not just another church down the street. It's not just another people that can act churchy on Sunday, but we are the church. We live it on Sunday. We live it on Monday. We live it on Tuesday and when they come in here and the Holy Ghost begins to fall down and the power of God does what I cannot do or you cannot do in your own flesh that's when lives are changed that's when the church begins to grow is when we function in our proper role every single church service it is our job to create such an environment that people run to the altar I still believe in old-fashioned conviction. Yes, I think that the altar call has to be given. But I've seen people, as the preacher preached, they get up out of their seat. The lump is in their throat. They can't hardly breathe. They can't talk. And they run to the front. They don't know what to say because they're overwhelmed by the power of God. They're overwhelmed by the goosebumps, what they think is the air conditioning. 
I did. My first time, I'm like, man, it is cold in this church. My neck hair is standing up. My arm hair is standing up. Come to find out it was God. And that day I stood up. Nobody had to say, hey, do you want to go to the altar with me? I had a godly sorrow. It was right there. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I got up out of my seat when nobody else was standing. And I walked to the front. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know who I was talking to. I just knew I felt something that I never felt before. Because the church, the body, the role, it was working as it was intended by God to do. Created an atmosphere where God could operate. If we'll do our part as the body, Jesus Christ, God, will do his part as the head. And he will orchestrate. He will put people where they need to be. A couple Sundays ago, um, we normally sit over here and um, I I had saved some seats. My wife was come. I generally come uh, earlier and my wife got here. And when I got back to my seat, there was a Rose Holman student who I met prior to service and then there was two more people sitting there so I shook their hand and and welcomed them and 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 they had a great time in service and normally my wife and I would come down to the altar at the end of preaching regardless if he's preaching about sin or I'm the greatest person alive I still come to the altar because I want God to continue to work on me through any sermon and my wife this time didn't she started to step out and come to the altar and the Holy Ghost spoke to her and said, stay where you are. So my wife thought, okay. So she stood there and there's a, a, a young lady standing beside her. And my wife looked over and said, is there anything you want me to pray for you today about? She said, yeah, I'm just trying to find some decisions, uh, going through some things and I need God's hand. And 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 she said, okay. So my wife prays for her and my wife asked, what brought you here today she said oh we're in town for homecoming and my wife said oh that's great but no what brought you to new life today she said oh we're, I was supposed to meet somebody for breakfast and they didn't show up so I said I need to go to church my wife said oh that's amazing but what brought you to new life today and tears welled up in her eyes and my wife looked at her and said God brought you to new life today God put you right beside me today so I could pray for you come to find out she lives in Evansville Indiana she lives a mile and a half from my good friends the Maronis who pastor a Pentecost, an apostolic church and so that night my wife calls uh, Sister Maroney and says Sister Maroney there's a young lady a mechanical engineer who said she's been looking for an apostolic church just like this. I told her about you. In fact my wife pulled up a map of the church and she goes I live right there. You tell me that if the body is not sensitive to the spirit of God, if we will learn to be sensitive to the spirit, God will do things not only here in our city, but in other cities across the United States, in other countries across the globe. I'm telling you, we are not just a a corporate body for Terre Haute. We're not just a corporate body for Vigo County. I believe that we are the very beginning of a, I feel the Holy Ghost. We are the very beginning of a worldwide revival. That's why we have to understand who we are. Somebody say amen. It's the work of our, uh, of us, the body to bring down the spirit of God. We do community service. We, 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 we give and visit the sick and we, get, we have a clothing pantry, a food pantry. 
We give to help people with shelter. But the, what the church has is many institutions, but we're not just an institution. Because what an institution doesn't have that the church has is the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. It is only the church that can bring down the Spirit of God and release it into personal lives and challenges people like God used David to do in the life of Saul. So the church must continue to remain the channel through which God demonstrates His power to a lost and hurting world. Every single service, we have to look at every single service like this is the one that somebody's life is going to be changed. This could be the service that God heals me. This could be the service that God brings prodigals back home. We have to be intentional with every single service and opportunity we get. Not only do we have to do it in this building, we have to do it outside of this building. As I was studying and praying about this, the Lord checked in my spirit. And I want to challenge this, Luke 14 and 23. And the Lord said unto the servant... Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be full. God wants to fill not only this physical location. God wants to fill different locations, other churches, everywhere abroad with people that are hungry and thirsty for God. We're called as the body to set free the bound and lift up the sick, the oppressed, the abused. We're there to help single parents, there to restore prodigals, there to help the widows and to mend the broken. But we have to learn as a body how to bring down the power of God and to release it into the atmosphere. Number two, to dispel the current fears in our land. And there is a lot of fear in our land today. See, in David's time, the battle between the armies of Israel and Goliath had put a lot of fear in their people's minds because of all the threats and the rantings of Goliath. We read in 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 11, 11, Goliath stood and cried to the armies of Israel. Here's what he said. Why have you come out out to line up in battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to see if he is able to fight with me and kill me. Then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of all Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now think about that for a moment. The nation of Israel, the people of God, and they find themselves in a condition of fear and they're dismayed because the enemy is telling them, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to get rid of you. And when you bring me somebody that thinks they're worthy enough to fight me, I'm going to make you my servant. But by chance, if you win, we'll serve you. I don't know. I just, I don't know how your mind works. But when I read words, I see like the movie playing out in my mind. I I see Goliath standing there just taunting, taunting the nation of Israel. Can you, can you picture what it's like for a king? You got Saul sitting there, all of his men, 
all of his soldiers, they're all around them. And the Bible says they were all greatly afraid. They had no hope for their lives. They got a king that's no longer a part of the kingdom. God has forsaken him. An evil spirit is upon him. And he calls for a man to come and worship so the spirit will leave him. And the fear just didn't stop there. 1 Samuel 20, 17 through 24, it tells us that David's brothers as well, who were there when God anointed, when Samuel anointed David, they were great men of Israel. They fled from Goliath because they were dreadfully afraid. Everyone was in a state of fear and panic because Goliath, one man, shut down an entire nation. Fear had overtaken the land so great. And this was the current national issue at the time. A fear had robbed them of the knowing who they served. A fear had robbed them of the force and the power that was behind them called Jehovah. The one who had provided in every aspect of their life. Now they stand in fear. How is that applicable, Brother Barbara, to our day in our own time? If I would go around the room and just say, what are some of the current fears in our land? The question to us, the question to the church is, are we promoting fear? Are we encouraging fear like the Israelites did? Or are we like David? We're stepping out to dispel the fear and let people have hope and confidence in God. we got to be careful that we're not magnifying Goliaths in our land. You want to know what Goliaths are? Gas prices. I'm so tired of hearing about gas prices. It is what it is. I don't drive in. I know some people, they drive like six miles to save a penny. Can't change it. It's a fear, though. It's a legitimate fear. I drive every day. I have a 2012 Toyota Corolla. I bought it brand new when they took away our company cards. I bought it with zero miles. Today, I clicked over 344,000 miles. Glory to God. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost is in Toyota, I think. <laughs> and it gets 35 miles to the gallon still. And when gas prices got right at $5, it made me a little nervous because I drive about 175 miles a day. I fill up that little car three, sometimes four times a week. It made me nervous. And fear one say, oh, you're not going to make it. That Goliath wanted to stick up and say, oh, the gas prices are high. Oh, man, who's in the White House tonight? They're this time. Oh, who's in this term? Oh, we, the economy's in the tank and so on and so on. And we make Goliath so big in our eyes that we cannot see God. We have to get to a point where we realize that we are children of God. And he's never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. That you're in the hands of the almighty God. And I refuse in this day, in this time of fear, where fear is running rampant. People are afraid of many things. To allow that Goliath to stand before me and my God. And say, I'm going to go down with the ship. It's not going to work. How are we going to build a sanctuary with the economy like it is? Because we don't operate on, on the world's economy. We operate on God's economy. And we have a God that sits on the throne. And it's my job to stand up and say, it's okay. You're going to make it. Even when you struggle, you're going to make it. Don't let one little struggle, one little fall or failure 
defined everything about you. Micah says, rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. It's not about how I fell. It's what tripped me up and what can I do to get back up and not do the same thing again. And when I find somebody that's tripped and fell and made a mistake, it's not my job as the body to say, yeah, you sure blundered that one. That's bad. Ooh, that's terrible. Oh, man, and just rub at the proverbial. As we, I don't know if it's a southern thing, but rub salt in the wound. It's my job to say, hey, it's okay. If God be for you, who can be against you? You're going to make it. You get right back in there. You go to the front. You lift your hands and you worship because he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. It's my job as a part of the body of Christ to dispel fear and to promote faith. We've got to not be intoxicated with what's transpiring here and now. Because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Let's bring what happened in this passage now to our time. David goes to the battlefront, finds out he was basically meals on wheels, brought some food to his brothers. And in that day, there was no social media. Nobody was tweeting out, hey, guys, get down here to the front line. Goliath's doing his thing. He's scaring the nation of Israel. There was no Instagram selfies with Goliath in the background. There was no Facebook. There was none of that. So David had to go down there and get right in the thick of, thick of it. And the battle between Goliath and the armies of Israel took place in an area that other people, apart from soldiers, had access to. It wasn't a military exclusion zone or a place restricted for soldiers only. Or David would have never been able to get to the place where he was. The soldiers, if it was in our day... They would have had smartphones, David and others like him. Even though they're not part of the army, they would have had to do something within that area that would also have their smartphones. What do you you think some of those people would have done if they would have had an iPhone back in the day? (laughs) Of course, in this social media-driven society, age, they've been videoing the whole thing. We... We went on vacation uh, the beginning of the year for my celebrate my son turning 18. I know I don't look that old. The Lord's been good. I was hoping for a few more amens, but that's okay. <laughs> and so we went, we went on vacation, and as we're on vacation, I found my kids videoing and snapping pictures. And, and finally I had to get to a point and say, guys, put down your phones. Don't worry about the pictures for your Instagram posts later. Your whatever, That's all they have is Instagram. Don't worry about that. Live in the moment. See what's right in front of you. Live in it. You know, they, they've been video Goliath down there ranting and raving. One person would have forwarded the video on, 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 on TikTok or Facebook and another tweet about him on, on Twitter and his picture on Instagram, and it had been the talk of the town. It had been hashtag God's time is up, hashtag Goliath got it, hashtag Israel is scared. It had been all this stuff to create a moment of fear when God had everything under control. The best platform for the enemy to operate is one of fear and panic. Fear leads to rash decisions. Fear destroys hope. 
what we say and even post as believers and as the church does. It feeds and strengthens people's faith or we daily bombarding and overloading people's minds with fear-inducing news and messages. We have to be careful as the church. We have to be careful that we're positive, that we're optimistic, that we're lifting each other up. We're telling, hey, you're going to make it. It's okay. You're going to do it. I know it's tough. I know it, I know it can be tough at times, but you, God's got you. And you begin to testify of the good things that the Lord's done in your life. That's what a testimony is. The Bible says you overcome by two things. The word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. If you've been baptized in his name, the blood's applied to your life. And when you're feeling down and defeated and and down and out and depressed and oppressed, you feel like you can't carry on, you just start telling yourself, I came a mighty long way. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. I couldn't even see. I didn't even know what Jesus' name baptism was. But Lord, you enlightened my eyes. You begin to testify to yourself. Sometimes, as David did, you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. Sometimes I ride my car and I, I'll be honest, I get down and out and I'm right, oh God, I don't know why. And I, I stop and I, what am I doing? And I start singing the old song, you're going to make it. <laughs> Anybody know that song? Zach, if you need a soloist on Sunday, I got you, brother. You've got what it takes to win. Anybody know that? And I know. Y'all gonna make y'all want me to sing, don't you? I feel it in the spirit. Amen. But we gotta build each other up. The church should be a place where we do that. We build each other in faith and confidence in the spirit. Here's what Philippians 4 and 8 says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on them. Think on the goodness of God. Think on his power. David challenged, he addressed, and he dispelled the fear in the land by walking boldly and declaring. He said this in 1 Samuel 17 and 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight the Philistine. What God is looking for somebody to take hold of the spirit of David and say, I know that there's fear in the land, but let's go. We can take it. I know there's giants in the land, but we can take it. I know we may, some may say we're like grasshoppers in their sight, but we are children of God. We are the church. And we're just not the church. We're the triumphant church. In trying and uncertain times, people need the church. They need you and me to step forward and say, don't, don't let your heart fail you. I know it's uncertainty, but there's always one thing that's constant. For heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my word shall not pass away. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says this, Therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you're doing. We have the answer because we know the peace speaker. And I'm hurrying. Verse uh, number three. We're called to think outside the box without compromising the gospel. The 21st century church has a responsibility to think outside the box without diminishing or watering the message of Christ down. In other words, we are to be creative and even strategic in our approach even as we seek to fulfill the same mandate that was handed over centuries ago to the disciples. 
That, that commission is this found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, you go and you teach and you baptize them and you encourage them and you watch me be with you all the way to the end. That's what we're commissioned to do. We are to remain diligent and steadfast in the doctrine. We got to uphold truth. We got to stand for truth even when it's not popular. It's the role of the body to take, even the role of the church to take what has been given to us and take it to the whole world. We are called New Life Fellowship, but we are a part of an organization called the United Pentecostal Church International. And their motto is take the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole body. We are commissioned as the body of Christ to go into the world. Not just to go and to proclaim uh, this is what you have to do. Not just to say repent, repent, repent. Be baptized or else. Be baptized. You better. Are you speaking in tongues? Not that way. But we're going to make disciples. Be, be a friend. Make a friend. 1 Corinthians 15 and 8. Paul to the Corinthian church says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain of the Lord, even sometimes when it seems not to be working based on what I can see with my natural eye, if I stay consistent, if I stay together with the body of Christ and function as the body and my role is intended to be, the Lord's going to make a way for it. Revival will come. We will reap the harvest of that which we have sown. Matthew 5 and 41. And what's, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with them twain. I'm compelling you tonight as the body. Not just go. Don't be a, don't be a one mile person in a two mile world. Go the extra mile. We got to encourage each other to be a disciple and to make disciples. 1 Samuel 17, 38, and I'm trying to hurry. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. He took off the armor and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. David said, I can't, I can't be what I've not proven. When Saul placed his armor on David, what he was doing in essence was telling David that when you go to battle, this is the normal. This is the usual. This is the accepted thing we do. We wear this kind of stuff when we go to battle. But David disagreed. He opposed this age-old belief. And David tries to get Saul to understand that he's not used to the outfit. I, I can't believe in blindly doing the same thing over and over and over because it's the norm. I remember when um, we transitioned from our home mission church and the Lord gave us a, a Lutheran church that was shutting down. Uh, we paid $50,000 for almost a million dollar building. And uh, I remember we were transitioning and we were just kind of stuck in a rut. 
worship was just kind of there. We just wouldn't go forward. And I said, all right, everybody stand up. Everybody stood. I said, grab your, your purse, your Bible, whatever you brought with you. And people were looking at me weird. I said, change places. Find a new seat. They looked at me. They thought, oh, man, he's gone crazy. And when they changed seats, I said, now, shake hands. Get to know somebody that you're not used to sitting beside. And let's have church. And because they got out of the rut mentally, we had explosive church that night. We can get so enamored with coming, sitting in the same place, worshiping the same way, talking to the same people that we fail to remember we're part of a bigger plan. 1 Samuel 17 and 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. David comes up with something new and something creative and something powerful and something strategic. He comes up with something born out of inspiration and guidance from God. He said, I can't take this armor that's the norm. I can't take this, this, this sword that's the norm. Because I know that's what they normally do in battle. But I've, I've, I've got an anointing on my life. And if no one else is stepping up, I'm going to do what I feel the Lord is calling me to do. And he grabbed that one stone, he put it in his sling, he threw it, we know the story. He hit the target, he addressed the problem that had brought fear to his brothers, to his family, to his nation. Because David was willing to do something that had never been done before. We've got to be willing to take a step of faith. How many times has the Lord ever spoke to you and says, go up there and dance? Why don't you take off running and you stand there and you argue with the Lord? Oh, man, I don't, nobody's really doing anything. And you, you contemplate with the Spirit and then all of a sudden, boom, somebody takes off running. And that, that, that unction just kind of leaves you. And you feel so down and out. You're like, oh, man, I should have went. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I'll do it next time. I've always said this, and I've always told my, my children this. The enemy will never tell you to do something that will bring glory to God. If the enemy tells you to, if you feel an unction, not the enemy, but if you feel an unction to dance, that's God telling you to dance. If he's telling you to run, that's God telling you to run. If he says, go pray for sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, that's the Holy Ghost inside of you telling you to go pray for sister and brother so-and-so. It's not the enemy. We have to try new things and shake it up, so to speak, in the spirit. Somebody say amen. So tonight, as I'm, I'm coming to a close, you may be asking, how can I, a part of the body, move the kingdom forward? And this is our fourth and last point. We are called to lead, train, and develop people to have a personal revelation of God and a relationship with God. The reason why David wasn't moved by Goliath's empty fuming was that David had a personal revelation of God. He had experienced God for himself. He said in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me, he already knew that God was going to take care of it. In other words, he knew personally because of the life he lived, not the one he heard people talk about, not the one he heard uh, about only when he went to church, but David knew exactly who the Lord was that was going to deliver him. And he spoke with so much conviction and assurance of the Lord because he knew that God would not leave him or forsake him in the midst of a trial, in the midst or the face of adversity. So based on his personal relationship and experience with God, David had absolutely no doubts or questions in his mind that God would save and deliver him from anything. 
Similar statements found in 1 John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and hath, has appeared to us. John made it clear that Christ, that the Christ he was talking about, he had heard his voice, he had seen him with his own eyes he had looked upon him and he had touched him with his hands his personal experience his personal relationship with God is what drove him to pin those words people who have this kind of deep true and living relationship with God can't be easily swayed and intimidated by the Goliaths of our time those who have seen and tasted and testified of the Lord's work in their life can't deny that it's real You can't deny, once you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can't deny that the Holy Ghost is real. See, products like the Coca-Cola bottling company put out is Coke. The product of a university is graduates. The product of a soap manufacturing company is its soap. The main thing the church is to produce, irrespective of whether we are in the jet age, the internet age, or even the end times, should be disciples. To help people understand God's word. To help them build a relationship with God. To affirm the importance of being committed to God on a daily basis. Galatians 5 and verse 22 and 23. Do you know the Lord wants to give us a harvest? He wants us to give give us a harvest in this church. And we have to do our part. We have to bear fruit. And we have to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We have to have the fruit first, and then the gifts will come. Here's what he's saying, Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Goodness, faith, excuse me, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As the church, we have to understand when the harvest comes, not everyone will grow spiritually at the same rate. Our role in the church is to be forbearing. Some will come in and everything will seemingly just click. It just happens. While others will need time and understanding and long-suffering from the believers of the body. Tonight as we stand, as you stand with me, I want to conclude that the role of of the church, the role of the body, is to operate outside of this physical location of worship. To resolve fear that is in our day and to think outside the box. To reap a harvest and to go lead, train, and develop disciples. That's the role of the church today. To understand who we are in Him, who He is in us, and what we can accomplish with Him in our lives. Somebody say amen. Would you bow your head and lift your hands with me right now? Father, I thank you tonight for this wonderful group of people that are in this building as well as those watching by way of web. I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would be with us, that you would help us as we've learned tonight of our role and what is the church in the 21st century. I pray now, God, that you would go with us and before us, that you would help us, help us to have a a boldness, God, and walk in authority of your spirit. Let us have love and the fruit of the spirit that the gift will come and be in operation help us be in have anticipation of every service and we're going to give you all the glory and the honor in jesus name